0: We are starting on chapter 17 in the book of Revelation. We're going to be starting chapter 17. We have a lot to cover. Again, everything will be in New King James Version. Chapter 17 is a little bit of a tough chapter. It's beyond a lot of what we comprehend now. Remember, a lot of stuff in Revelation is going to be a future event or something that is going to happen. And so many times it's tempting to try to speculate on what we think things are, but we want to make sure that we stay biblical and we're not speculating. And so chapter 17 is one of those chapters. It, it's uh, kind of hard to understand because we don't know exactly who mystery Babylon is. We don't know exactly what the city of Babylon, the empire of Babylon that's going to be rebuilt and chapter 17 talks about the harlot of Babylon. It's mainly about what the Bible calls the great harlot, who is, think about this, the Antichrist bride. And so the one world leader is the Antichrist. The true leader is Christ. The coming one world bride of the Antichrist is mystery Babylon. The great mother of harlots, the Bible calls her. The bride of Christ is the church. The reign of the Antichrist produces the tribulation. The reign of Christ produces the millennium. So you can see there's contrasting between the Antichrist and between Christ. So the Antichrist who establishes his headquarters in Babylon, which will be a rebuilt empire, and the Jews will, and Christ will establish his government, his kingdom in Jerusalem. And then eventually we will get the new Jerusalem. And so you have to understand there's a lot of parallels because the Antichrist and Satan tries to copy Christ. Remember, he's one of the riders on the white horse, and we're going to see tonight, Jesus coming on a white horse. And so the antichrist is always trying to copy what God is doing. Even right now in this day, in this hour, Satan is always trying to copy God. He perverts things. He has no creative power. He can't do anything original. And so he perverts marriage. He perverts sex. He perverts mindsets. He perverts principles, ideas, ideas, Every area of society that Satan is ruling and running, he is perverting. Perversion means the wrong version of something. And so just like the Holy Spirit's moving in the tribulation, the false prophet's moving in the tribulation. Just like Christ is moving in the tribulation, the Antichrist is moving in the tribulation. Just like God the Father's moving in power in the tribulation, the devil's moving in the tribulation. So there's this constant, the enemy trying to keep up with what God is doing. The Bible says that God marks his followers in the end times, just like the Antichrist will mark his followers with the number of the beast, which is 666 in the end times. So he's always trying to follow. He's always trying to pervert. He's always trying to copy. So in this chapter, we're going to find about mystery Babylon, who is a woman that represents a demonic religious government, one world order system. So this is who it represents. Revelation 17 verse one. Again, a lot of ground. We're gonna, we're gonna go long tonight, cause I wanna get through all of this tonight, but Revelation 17, 1, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. So John is gonna be invited to look at the pum- punishment of Babylon the mother, the great religious harlot, who the Bible says sits on many waters. When you see mystery Babylon, when you see this Babylon, the mother, this great religious harlot, think about this false antichrist, one world religious system. So in the Bible and waters represent, we've been over this before, masses of people, they represent nations, they represent tongues. And the fact that this wicked wicked woman is pictured as sitting upon the great masses is an indication that the world is going to support her and is going to celebrate her and is going to worship her. So when you see, Her sitting on the ocean or the masses of people. This is going to be the celebration. This is going to be the uh, honoring. This is going to be the tolerating. And this is going to be the upbringing of this one-world religious system. The worship of the beast. The worship of the antichrist. And this is the harlot that we're seeing. Verse two, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So this harlot religious system will commit adultery with the kings of the earth. Will will get in bed with the kings of the the earth shall conspire world leaders to produce a one world religion. And the wine of her fornication is a reference to demonization. This wicked woman, wicked woman, this is a tongue twister here, will lead people astray with deceiving spirits. So this is not just a natural religion or a natural one world order. This is led by demonic spirits. Remember last week we talked about the demonic spirits are going to go out and deceive the Kings of the earth to gather them at Armageddon, which we're going to see tonight, the battle of Armageddon to fight against God and his army, which is going to be us. I'll show you this tonight. So that that's what you have to understand about this harlot, about this woman. She's using demons to deceive the kings of the earth and the nations. That's what the wine of her fornication. It's speaking of demonic influence. Verse three. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. So John was taking the spirit to a deserted place, a desert where he saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. And we already know the beast with seven heads and 10 horns is the antichrist. So the woman is sitting on the antichrist, sitting on the beast. And this is making us assume or making us realize that her harlot religion and the antichrist will exist at the same time. And the antichrist Christ is going to be in support of this one world religious system. Again, some of these things are kind of complex ideas, but the fact that she's sitting on the beast, that means the Antichrist is supporting her. So this one world order, this one world religion, this one world worship of the Antichrist is absolutely, or, or this order is supported by the Antichrist. So the, she is sitting on the beast who is the Antichrist. Revelation 17, four through six, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead was written mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and the abomination and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So not only is she making the nations of the earth drunk on her fornication, her religious mindset, but also she's getting drunk on the Bible says the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So she's actually taking pleasure in murdering and martyring Christians. So this is what, what we're seeing here. The harlot. I know it sounds kind of complicated. The harlot who is this one world religion, this false system is... Taking pleasure and getting drunk on murdering and martyring Christians. So this is going to be this one world religious system that I talked about before after the Christians persecuting the tribulation saints. It's going to be incredibly hard in the tribulation to be a believer because the Bible says that this other religious system is going to be getting drunk on the wine. I'm I'm sorry, drunk on the blood of the tribulation saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So not only is she making other people drunk, she herself is drunk on their blood. We don't know exactly what Babylon is, but in the next chapter, we're going to talk about the fall of the city of Babylon. So she's determined to make this one world religion supported by the Antichrist. Grant Jeffrey, who's an end times teacher said, obviously Mystery Babylon, the apostate pagan church of the last days will not develop overnight. Such an ecumenical organization involving many diverse religious groups will be created by negotiation and conferences over years leading up to the tribulation, uh, in, in the tribulation and the beginning of the seven year period. It's therefore probable, listen to what he says here, that we are going to witness the initial steps towards this one world church of the last days, before the rapture takes Christians home to heaven. So this Bible teacher is saying, it's very possible that we might see the beginning of this one world religion, even before the tribulation. So it's possible before we get raptured before the tribulation, we're going to see the start of this one world religion, this mystery Babylon, this great harlot the Bible talks about verse seven. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns, which we've already talked about. We won't keep going over the same things over and over. A lot of this is just descriptive of what's going on here. So God's angel perceived that John was astonished and confused and said, John, I'm going to show you two things. I'm going to show you the mystery of the woman and the mystery of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns, who is the Antichrist. Revelation 17, 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was, that is not, and that yet is. So this is what the Bible saying. The beast existed prior to John's lifetime. It once was, did not exist when John received the revelation. Now is not, that's what it's saying, but will reappear at an unspecified time in the future. And so I believe it's not just talking about the Antichrist, but it's talking about the devil who's going to fill the Antichrist and is going to empower the Antichrist. Again, this is a very hard chapter to understand and to explain because we don't know the city of Babylon. We don't fully know about this one world religion. We only have a few verses describing her. So the Bible says that eventually it will go to his destruction since God is going to cast the beast into the lake of fire and all of his followers with him. Okay. So the rest of chapter 17. So this is going to, that is all we know about this harlot of Babylon. The rest of chapter 17 is going to describe some of the stuff we've already talked about and it's going to explain. And I'm just going to read it. Revelation 17, nine through 14. Again, very short chapter, very descriptive here. Here is the mind, which has wisdom, the seven heads. So it's actually going to tell us what they are, are, the seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven Kings, five have fallen. We've already covered all this. One is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short time. The beast that was, and is not, and himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Verse 12, the 10 horns, which you saw are the 10 Kings who have received no kingdom as of yet, but they receive authority for one hour as Kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and the authority to the beast. Again, we've already talked about all this. These are the nations that are going to give their power to the beast. Verse 13, these are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. Verse 14, they will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits, which we just talked about, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Verse 16, and the ten horns which you saw on the beast... These will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Verse 17, for God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman who you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Okay, so basically what John is saying is something we've covered before. These nations, these kings are going to give their power over to the Antichrist. They're going to give them their power and at some point they're going to turn on the woman. They're going to turn on mystery Babylon. They're going to turn on this harlot, this one world religious system And this is what John is describing in Revelation 17. So let's wrap up. Again, Revelation 17 is about the fall of the harlot of Babylon. An angel shows John, this is the wrap up here or the recap. He'll show John the punishment of the harlot who sits on the scarlet beast. She's the one who the earth will commit adultery with. The woman who sits on the beast is the mother of harlots and she gets drunk on the blood of the tribulation saints. The beast comes out of the bottomless pit and into his destruction will astonish many because he was wasn't and is yet to come. His seven heads represent seven kingdoms. The beast is the eighth kingdom, but will come out of the seventh kingdom. The 10 horns are 10 kings who will rule with the antichrist during the tribulation. We've talked about that before. Their only purpose is to give power to the eighth king, who is the antichrist, the beast, and God will establish, accomplish his purpose by planting the idea of destroying Babylon, the mother into the minds of the beast and his 10 Kings. Okay. That's chapter 17. Again, short chapter on mystery, Babylon, the harlot of Babylon, this one world religious system, chapter 18. So chapter 17, this is why we're covering all the way to 22 tonight. Cause a lot of this is descriptive. So chapter 17 was the judgment on Babylon, the religious system. Okay. Chapter 18 is the judgment on Babylon, the city. So In the last days, again, we don't know Babylon exactly where it will be. Some people say America. Some people say it will be in Europe. Some people say it will be in the Middle East. We don't know exactly where Babylon is going to be. But there's going to be an actual city called Babylon. It's going to be the headquarters of the Antichrist. And again, in 17, we saw that religious system. And in 18, we're going to actually see the destruction of a literal city called Babylon. So when you read chapter 18 and when I describe chapter 18, I want you to think of an actual city. Revelation 18 verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So after witnessing the destruction of the religious system, this is all on a timetable, John gets a new revelation. He sees an angel coming down from heaven that is going to now deal with the one world political and economic system of the city of Babylon. And this, when this angel arrives, the earth is not going to be lit by the sun, the moon, or the stars, but the earth will be lit by the angels glory. And that suggests to many scholars, he'll come directly from the presence of God. Remember, angels are very important in the book of revelation and God's end time, end time timeline. And so here we're going to see an angel that is illuminating. So bright. Remember the sun's going out, the stars are going out. Darkness is covering the earth. And now this angel is illuminating the earth. Revelation 18 verse two through three. And he cried mightily with a loud voice. So now the angels crying with a loud voice saying Babylon the Great is fallen, and is fall, and Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and cage for every unclean and hated bird. Verse 3, for all the nations have drunk the wine of her wrath, her fornication, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So this is a picture of a government and a business that's obsessed with, controlled with this one world system. And so now we're seeing the merchants of the earth, all these nations, all these governments, world trade. By the time the tribulation period arrives, John says all these businesses and all these institutes and all these massive corporations and companies are going to be intoxicated with the money, with the power, with the wealth that the tribulation has produced and they're in full support, and they're extremely wealthy because of this harlot, or I'm sorry, because of Babylon, and because of this one world order, because of the mark of the beast, because you can only buy and sell if you have the mark, they've been intoxicated, they're infatuated by this one world order. And this is, some of this stuff is already happening now, as many of you are saying. Revelation 18, 4, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive her plagues. So a voice, another voice from heaven urges pe- God's people to leave Babylon for two reasons. Number one, so that they don't get involved in Babylon's sin. Again, we're, we're, thinking, we're talking about a literal city and culture here now. And so they will not fall victim to the plagues that God is about to inflict on Babylon. Even during this terrible time, God's wrath being poured out, it's obvious God still cares for the tribulation saints. God still cares for all of those that got saved when the, after the rapture as the tribulation has begun. And God is warning his people... Now get out of Babylon. We, again, we don't know where this is geographically, but God is warning his people. You need to get out of Babylon because there's going to be wrath poured out on Babylon. There's going to be destruction poured out as we're about to see on Babylon. And so he's literally telling them to come out of the city so that you don't fall on these plagues. Revelation 18, 5. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. So in the old Testament, God did not overlook what Babylon was doing when she tried to build a tower to heaven. If you guys remember in Babylon was the tower of Babel where they literally were building a tower to heaven and God confused their language and scattered them around the world. And now God is saying, I have remembered her iniquities. Her sins have reached heaven. And now God is going to burn the city to the ground. God is going to destroy. Remember, we're at the end of the tribulation period where Christ is about to come back. And God is now bringing destruction on these systems that were built for the seven Year period, God will destroy these systems. Revelation 18 verses 6 through 7, render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works, and the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. And the measure, and listen to what it says here, and the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, and the same way measure, give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am no widow, and I will not see sorrow. So the voice from heaven is declaring judgment on this actual city, saying, In the same way people live there in sin, in luxury, and arrogance and pride, I want them to receive a torment for the sorrow or sorrow and torment for the same type of luxury and double of the luxury that received. So in the same way they indulge in compromise and sin and fornication and taking advantage of people and taking advantage of people selling medicine and taking advantage of people with food shortages, God says, I want you now to bring torment or this voice says, now there's going to be torment and destruction on the city mixed double for her. Verse eight, therefore her plagues will come in one day death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire for strong is the Lord God who judges her. So this is the home of the one world order, the global trade. She thinks she's very powerful. She controls weapons, great armies. The city is massive. The Bible calls a she, but compared to God, she is nothing. And so what no earthly army could destroy or do, God is going to accomplish in one day. This entire city is going to be wiped out. This end time harlot city is going to be wiped out. Chapter 18, verses 9 through 10. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. Again, talking about a literal city. Verse 10. Standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city of Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. So this destruction of Babylon, we're talking about worldwide news. When this city collapses, when God burns the city to the ground, it's going to produce worldwide news. People are going to talk about it, kings, dictators, politicians, all of those that supported this city, all of those that took advantage of the wealth of this city, this wicked, wicked headquarters of the Antichrist, are now going to grieve and cry as they see their city go into rubble, as they see smoldering rubble go into the air, pillars of smoke as God destroys the city. The Bible calls it a mighty city because, again, it's the headquarters of the Antichrist, the false prophet. There's wicked rulers, leaders, presidents that are living in the city, and God is about to burn the entire system to the ground. Again, showing the world you don't mess with God because for these seven years, they built the city of Babylon. They built this empire of wealth and money and finances. This massive city, you think New York or San Francisco or any of these big cities are opulent or powerful. These will look like nothing compared to Babylon. This will be the devil's headquarters and God is going to burn it down in one day. It's not going to stand against the Lord God Almighty. Verse 11, and the merchants of the earth, Will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. So think about this businessmen are weeping over not a loss of life, not people going to hell, not even their own sins. They're weeping over that they've lost customers, that people no longer are buying their goods. They can no longer take advantage of people selling medicine. They can no longer take advantage of tribulation saints and the Christians. And so now they're weeping because no one will buy their merchandise. It's getting burned to the ground and they're losing financial opportunity and they've taken advantage of people all throughout the tribulation, this is next level greed. And they're literally mourning. They're not mourning because people are dying and getting killed in the plagues. They're mourning because they're losing customers versus 12 through 13 merchandise of gold and silver. So this is what they're dealing in. Gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of the most precious bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots. And then the last, look what it says here in verse 13 and bodies and souls of men. So not only, how, how disturbing is this? Not only does the Bible say they're trading everything expensive. Again, John doesn't know what a car is. He doesn't know what aircrafts are. So he's, he's relating things to what's valuable in his times. That's why he's saying cinnamon, incense, fragrant, frankincense. You say that doesn't mean anything to me. Well, you gotta understand John's describing something of value. So you're talking about cars and you're talking about wealth and technology. These are things that they're selling. But the end, it says that they're also selling or dealing in bodies and the souls of men. So John's describing the things that are buying and sold. Bodies, which is actual physical bodies, body parts and selling people. And then when the Bible says the souls of men, it's speaking of slavery, showing us that during the tribulation, these greedy men that are mourning and crying over Babylon being destroyed, these greedy men are actually selling people into slavery. There will be a slavery movement. A slave trade will be reinstituted in the last days. And probably a lot of Christians will be sold into slavery in these times. And this is what they're trading and they're crying because now they're losing business here because God's destroying the city. Chapter 18, verse 14 the fruit that you're so longed for has gone from you and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you and you shall find them no more. So the global leaders and traders are going to acknowledge that their Babylonian dream of wealth and success has been destroyed. All of the glory, all the riches of this great, most powerful city is now going to be gone. It's just going to be a distant memory. Verses 15 through 16, the merchants of these things who become, who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. Here they are crying again, saying, alas, alas, the great city that was once closed in fine linen, purple, scarlet, adorned in gold and precious stones and pearls. So these businessmen, they're not going to go into the city. They don't want to be around it, but they're going to stand from their sky rises. They're going to stand watching on TV, standing at a far distance, weeping and wailing as they watch the city burn to the ground. Verses 17 through 19, for in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. So within one hour, the city is completely destroyed. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship, sailors, and all those that traded on the sea stood at a distance and cried when they saw the city smoke, the smoke of her burning saying, what is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and they cried, alas, alas, the great city who had all the ships of the sea became rich by her wealth for in one hour, she's made desolate. So now again, we have more traders, more businessmen crying. This whole, again, this whole chapter is about the destruction of Babylon. And lots of these guys are crying about mourning about the destruction of a wicked city. Verse 20. Rejoice over her. Now now the script changes. Watch what happens in verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. So here we have the difference between God's people and the godless people. One group will rejoice and sing the praises of God. The other will will mourn the loss of their God, and their God is money. So one group is rejoicing, saying, thank you, Lord, for destroying this wicked city. And then the other group is is mourning because they've lost their God, and their God has been money. So in the end, Babylon will brought the judgment on itself by rejecting God, rejecting God's people, killing people, mistreating God's people, and being drunk on the wine of her fornication, this massive city is going to be brought down, and there's going to be praise and there's going to be worship, and not only in heaven, but I believe also on the earth among the tribulation saints. Verse twenty one. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying thus with violence the great Great city shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. So we're going to see this mighty angel taking up a stone, showing us in the same way this massive stone is thrown in the sea, never to be seen again, never to be remembered. So Babylon, this great city, is going to be thrown down and will not be revealed and not be found anymore. Verse 18. Uh, Chapter 18 verses 23 to 24, the sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman or no craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of the millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of lamps shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived, and in her was found in the blood of prophets and saints and all who were slain on the earth. Okay. What does this mean? It sounds complicated. Here's what John is saying. There was once a time where there was music and concerts and lights in this great city. Almost think of like a Las Vegas type lights everywhere. This great city was opulent. It was powerful. The great men, the Bible says were there. They live there and no longer will there be trade. No longer will there be lights. No longer will there be concerts. No longer will there be businesses. This once lit up thriving city that the Antichrist reigned in his headquarters will now be completely destroyed and it will be darkened and there'll be nothing left of it. And this is what the Bible is talking about when it says the lights will be gone. The sound will be gone. There'll be no music. It's talking about the desolation of the city. Okay. Chapter wrap up. An angel comes from the presence of God and declares destruction on the great city of Babylon. A heavenly voice will call God's people out of Babylon. So they don't come under the Babylon's plagues or be destroyed with Babylon. Babylon gets destroyed by God in one hour. Her sudden destruction leaves the entire world wailing, weeping, crying because of the loss of money. Those in, who in heaven who suffered at Babylon's hand will rejoice over the judgment that God releases on her. And a mighty angel will throw a boulder, a boulder the size of a large millstone, into the sea to represent the totality of Babylon's destruction. Babylon will never rise again. There will never be another Babylon. This empire, this organization, the city, this entire ecosystem is gone. It'll never return. And this is the destruction of Babylon. Okay. We're moving good here, guys. We do got a lot to cover still. Chapter 19, verse one. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord to the Lord, our God. So after the destruction of Babylon and the worldwide reaction that follows this multitude of people crying, now you're going to see a multitude of rejoicing in heaven. They're likely going to be people say the tribulation saints, but it also could be the church angels, old Testament saints, but they're now singing praises to the Lord, praising him for his salvation, praising him for his glory, praising him for his power, praising him for the things that he's done. And this is a loud voice that John is hearing verse two chapter 19, verse two, for true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he's avenged for her. the He's avenged on her, the blood of his servants shed by her. So those praising God are declaring his truth and justice because he destroyed this one world religious system, this harlot and this one world city that was the headquarters of the antichrist and avenged. And by doing this, avenge the death of his people. Remember, I think it was in chapter five or six, the uh, tribulation saints that were martyred. We're saying, Lord, when will you avenge us? These are all fulfillments of the Lord saying, be patient. I will avenge you. The time is not come yet. Eventually I'm going to avenge you. This is part of God avenging these people, avenging his uh, church and avenging the tribulation saints. Verse three, again, they said, Alleluia. her smoke rises up forever and ever. So this is the second time we hear a shout from heaven, Hallelujah in heaven. Um, one of them for the destruction of Babylon, the mother of harlots, and the other one is for the destruction of the city. However, this is more than just the destruction on earth because they're going to thank the Lord. And here's what they say. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And it means that these people, in, not only in the city, but the city, have gone into everlasting destruction. The smoke going up ever and forever speaks of the eternal lake of burning fire. That's what it's talking about. So I want you to realize, though, the rejoicing that these uh, angels, these tribulation saints, the church is having, it's not rejoicing like we're so glad you killed all these people in Babylon. We're so glad you killed, and we're not we're not praising like over death. We're, we're praising and we're rejoicing because God has stopped the antichrist and this one world order that God has destroyed this one world order. And so the rejoicing is everybody thought who can stop the antichrist. Everybody thought who can stop this great opulent, powerful, wealthy city. And now everyone's rejoicing because God has stopped the Antichrist. God has destroyed the city and there's something to praise about. There's something to worship about. So don't be mistaken. There's a reason why they're praising. There's a reason why they're worshiping. They're they're worshiping because of what God has done and because what God is doing and the destruction. So there's not just we're praising because a bunch of people died. We're actually praising the Lord because God has stopped the Antichrist reign. The city's been destroyed. Verses four through six. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, amen, alleluia. Then a voice from the throne saying, praise our God, all his servants and those who fear him great." both great and small. Verse six, and I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, alleluia for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So nobody knows who the voice is saying, praise our God. It could be one of the uh, four living creatures. It could be one of the Christians there. It could be one of the 24 elders, but there's a voice coming out and they're bringing praise. They're bringing honor and they're bringing glory to the Lord for what he's done and for his power and his grace and his majesty. Revelation 19, seven, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. So this will be a great day in heaven because it's now time for the lamb Who's Christ, uh, who's Christ marriage to the church and the bride of Christ. And God's servants are now rejoicing and giving him glory because they're anticipating the marriage of the lamb. And, re- and in regard to what was this timing, when did this happen? This will take place after the destruction of Babylon near the end of the tribulation period. And this will be until death do us part type of wedding. This is not going to be a temporary thing that's going to happen during the tribulation. This is going to be a permanent marriage between the lamb and between, the bro- and between his bride, which is the church. And And so now they're preparing, they're praising, and they're saying the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And this is going to be the special union. Many people believe, some people believe that the wedding of the lamb is going to take place at the beginning of the millennial reign. Others believe it's going to take place right before Armageddon because they're saying, well, we have to marry Christ. There has to be that wedding before we come to the earth and reign with him. Needless to say, we don't know exactly when the wedding is going to happen, but it's going to happen either... In the beginning of the millennial, right when we come back to the earth and reign with Christ, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, or it's going to happen right before the battle of Armageddon. When Christ returns, the the wedding is going to happen. Revelation 19.8. And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Okay. So this is the bride of Christ. This is us before the wedding. We are now in fine linen, clean and bright, but I want you to see what the fine linen is in verse eight. The fine linen, the Bible tells us, we don't have to speculate, is the righteous acts of the saints. So before it's marriage, the church is wearing fine linen, which is the righteous acts. So whatever righteous acts you've done, whatever you're doing, you're going to be, these will be worn as a gown or as like a robe, as a wedding dress that God's going to wrap us in these righteous acts. So for all of you that say acts don't matter, works don't matter, what we do for God doesn't matter. It does matter because the Bible literally says that this is what the bride is wearing on the wedding is the righteous acts of the saints. These right choices we've made chapter 19, verse nine. Then he said to me, "Write. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And so, and, um, again, John heard an angel tell him to write this time. He was told to write about the wedding supper of the lamb. All those who invited to attend this are blessed. The Bible says, so this is what Hal Lindsay, who is a revelation teacher said, Hal Lindsay said this. Well, Revelation 19.9 pronounces a blessing on the guest at the supper. It doesn't indicate the time of the supper or the place of the supper. And this is what he says it's my feeling that the wedding feast of the lamb and his bride will take place on earth at the very beginning of the millennial kingdom of God. So he believes that the wedding supper of the lamb is going to take place on the earth at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Again, nobody truly knows. This is just us interpreting how we feel. We can interpret it, but no one knows exact timing. Revelation 1910. And I fell at his feet to worship him. This is the John falling at the feet of the angel to worship him. And he said to me, see that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So after writing what the angel said, John falls at the angel's feet to worship him and the angel says, don't worship me. Don't worship me. I'm just one of your, I'm a fellow servant. I'm not God. Only worship God. So again, These angels are powerful. They're majestic. They have authority, but we're never to worship angels. We're never to praise angels. Remember, during the tribulation, people are going to worship Satan. They're going to worship demons. They're going to worship the Antichrist. The false prophet will demand worship. However, in our, in Christianity, we're forbidden to worship or to pray to anything but God. Anyone but God. We don't pray to saints. We don't pray to spirits. We don't pray to angels. We don't worship angels. We only pray to God. We only worship God. We only give honor and glory to God. We never, never, never pray to a saint. We never, never, never pray to Mary. We never worship Mary. We never worship saints. It's only to God, and even the angel says, no, 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 John, don't worship me. Don't praise me. Only worship and only praise God. So if you're involved in anything that is telling you to worship a pastor, worship a leader, or bring glory and honor, worship, get on your knees before a man of God. That's all unbiblical. It's all false. I've seen a lot of these ministers in other countries that have people get on their knees before them. This is wrong. This is not God. We are only to worship the Lord God Almighty. That's it. We don't worship any other gods. We don't pray to people, pray to any other gods. I must say this, because many of you always say, is it okay if I pray to a saint? Is it okay if I pray to Mary? Is it okay if I worship so and so? No, it's not okay. We're only to worship the Lord God Almighty. Revelation 1911. Now I saw heaven open. and behold, now this is where it gets whoo, I get chills when I talk about this. This is where it gets very, very good here. Not that it, none of it wasn't good, but this is just starting to get to that climax here. Revelation 1911. now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges as he judges and makes war. So now John is seen Christ on a white horse. The Bible says he's called faithful and true, and this is this verse by some call scholars has been called the climax of the Bible because the Old Testament. Uh, uh, prophets prophesied this event. Jesus predicted this event. Writers of the New Testament wrote about this event and everything we've studied, everything we've been reading in the last three, almost three months of teaching and training about this has all been built up to this one verse. And this is going to be an incredible sight to the tribulation saints on earth and a terrifying sight to the Antichrist and to all that follow the Antichrist because heaven will be open. Remember, it opened the first time when John went up, remember the heavens open and John went up and heard that voice. And that's when people say it represents the rapture of the church. And it will be opened up the second time when Jesus comes back with his church. And so a rider on a white horse will appear. The first rider on a white horse was the antichrist. He remember he appeared in the beginning of the tribulation. He was one of the riders on, on the horses. He was the white horse. He was trying to mock or mimic Christ. This is the true rider of the white horse who is Christ. So this is, um, in ancient times when mighty warriors would ride in, they would ride in on white horses to declare war. If you rode in on a donkey, it was because you were de- going to declare peace. If you rode in on a horse, it was to declare war. We know Jesus came the first time on a donkey and the Bible makes it clear right here in revelation 19, uh, verse 11, that he's coming back on a war horse. He is not coming to die again. He's not coming to lay down his life again. He's already laid down his life. He's already shed his blood. He is coming to establish a government that will never end to rule on the earth for a thousand years, And he destroyed the antichrist and the false prophet. Okay. This is Christ on the right. Um, on the white horse, revelation, 1912, his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. His, he had a name written that no one knew except himself. And so his fiery eyes speak of his jealousy, his power, his righteous anger, his insight, his knowledge, his many crowns reveal his authority and his royalty. And we know that Jesus has many names. Jesus is one of them. Lord is one of them. Christ is one of them. Wonderful is one of them. Counselor, Son of God, Son of Man. There's tons of names for Jesus. But when he comes back, he's going to have a special name that is only known to him. No one will be able to understand what the name is. It'll only be known to him. Now, will someday God reveal the name? We don't know. Maybe someday God will reveal what that name is. But when he comes back, he will have a name that only himself will understand. Verse 13. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his, na- and his name is called the word of God. So the robe dipped in blood is a symbol of what is about to take place. The prophet Isaiah tells us it represents the blood of his enemies. So he's going to come back to deal with hundreds of of millions of unbelievers at the battle of Armageddon and the battle of Armageddon will be a bloodbath. And this is why the Bible says his robes are are dipped or dripping in blood. This is a representation symbolic of the blood of his enemies. His name is the word of God. And this can only be explained by looking at John's other book, the gospel of John. And in this gospel, John calls Jesus the word of God made flesh. And so we know the rider of the white horse because of this is Jesus Christ himself. According to the Bible, there's the written word of God, John five thirty nine. There's the spoken word of God, which is John three thirty four and John six sixty three, and the living word of God, which is John one one, John one fourteen, and Hebrews four twelve. Those are the three different ways we see the word of God. The Bible is the written word of God. Um, As we preach messages full of the Holy Spirit, that's the spoken word of God. As I'm preaching, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's the spoken word of God. And then Jesus is the living word of God. So the written word, the Bible, the spoken word is as we preach, as we prophesy, as we um, pronounce the kingdom of God has arrived. And then Jesus is the living word of God. Revelation 19, 14. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. So I want you to notice here. Jesus comes back. The clouds are open. He's coming back, following Jesus on white horses, clothed in white linen is the, not army of heaven, is the armies of heaven. So the armies are going to follow Jesus. And who's going to be in that army? You guessed it. If you're a believer right now and you got raptured and you're a believer when Christ came back, you're going to be in that army. The only ones that are not going to be in that army are